Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and me and Adam are on for an episode of Bedrock Talk to talk about Torchwood and some gaming stuff today. We've been uh, going over the uh, the first Torchwood series, and uh, we're, we're, we just watched episodes three and four, Ghost Machine and Cyberwoman, so, um, so yeah, so why don't we just get into it and, and uh, talk about our initial reactions to the episodes. Yeah, no, I uh, was pretty fascinated watching these two episodes because it seems like we've got a theme going of uh, every every single episode has been the problem has been created by a different member of Torchwood so far. It's uh, that's yeah, <laughs> first, yeah. <laughs> it's like the first episode. There's I, I forget her name, but the woman who 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 is no longer in the show, Susie, and then yeah, Susie, and then yeah, second episode, Eve causes it. This episode, it was uh, really uh, Owen that was the one that, that caused it to become a problem. And you know, the problem at the end was caused by Owen. And then the, the next episode we're going to discuss is all on Ianto. So yep. it's like every single crisis has been created by Torchwood. Yep. And, and, <laughs> and I wish I could say that that goes away, um, but, uh, but it doesn't. In fact, just as a side note, I went back and watched um, the uh, – uh, ghost army or was it army of ghosts and doomsday the the episodes with torchwood one and yeah and it's very striking how even though torchwood one also you know failed miserably as well uh it <laughs> seems a little bit more together than than uh uh than than jack harkness's uh version of torchwood which is which is oddly uh very small and 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 again is very prone to sort of people just you know uh pushing a button and causing a disaster um but yeah of the two episodes which one do you think you preferred uh i think i preferred uh boy that's that's tough because they're very different episodes um i i i think i preferred the third one actually the ghost machine one i mean it wasn't it wasn't an amazing episode but it was it was just pretty well put together Mm -hmm. i uh I know it was it was hard because, you know, they they hadn't really, you know, Ianto's just been this non-character so far in the previous episodes. And this is the first one where they really gave him time. It's like each episode is kind of giving someone more attention each episode. I mean, we got to know Gwen in the first couple. Then we, we you know, we got to know, uh, you know, Owen better in the, the third episode. And then the fourth episode, it's like suddenly we go to Ianto, but it's like such a crisis and it's him kind of working against the group. And it's yeah. like, well, we haven't, I don't know. I, I feel like it would have been a little better a little later in the season to uh, to have that Actually, happen once we already knew him. I agree. I, I think this is kind of the one where you, it, well, it's a little hard to say because I think if you do it too late, the redemption that needs to occur with his character might, do you know what I mean? Like it might, mm. uh, it might, yeah. it, it, but, but yeah, I think maybe putting it later. I think that yeah. um, the 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 Ghost Machine episode has a little bit more of like a classic sort of I don't know what you would say just it just feels like a like a solid episode to me um, yeah and and I think that the concept is cool I liked the idea of the of of how they're feeling the emotions of the ghosts uh, yeah. they're not really ghosts it's really kind of like a it's like energy from from the the event in that area that, 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 uh, that the person is feeling when they turn on the machine. But I, but I like the twist in the end when they also get a look at the future, 
with the uh, when they put them together, and then yes. you know, that creates the sort of uh, you know the situation where where Gwen sees this horrible thing and then is trying to avert it. Um, so you know, I thought, uh, I, I you know, I, I thought that was a nice episode. Uh, it was, and I, I well, I like to having Owen be the one that gets caught up too, because he's been kind of the snide, I'm above everything, sneering at everyone, mm-hmm. and then he gets hit with this thing, and it's like suddenly he's so emotionally involved in it, and it's like that's, it's just it's just different than he was presented in or up to that point. It kind of which which, which was interesting. Well, and it shows I, uh, the power of that device too, because he, you know, yeah, yeah, because like he is the, he is the sort of guy that you would think is going to crack a joke, not 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 have empathy for the woman being 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 hurt in the situation um yeah or at least he's gonna have yeah. the least concern out of like out of the whole group except maybe for for jack um and uh yeah so i don't know i thought and i liked the whole thing with the guy that they got to play the killer was a couple of cool things first you get to see him as a young man and then you see him as sort of this aged sort of mm-hmm. fat sweaty guy living in a small apartment the guy they got to play him the older version i thought was perfect um yes and yes. uh and and i liked the, i liked the idea this 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 like this this low life not even a thug just like a like a like a guy who's barely even a criminal really he he seems like he, you know like he occasionally commits crimes to to maybe make ends meet here or there finds these devices and his use for them is to blackmail people i thought that was a that, that was a really cool little plot element um yeah there was a lot of nice little world building going on in this episode i mean everything everything just fit together very well i liked i liked the scene with the the old version of the guy who who, who uh gwen sees as a kid lost at the railroad station and uh you know, that was just a nice little scene. It didn't have any plot relevance, but I felt it was just this 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 nice little performance that gave kind of historical context to everything. And it just it felt it felt very, very real to an extent, as much as a show about a ghost machine can. And, yeah, uh, I would, I would it, say. It's, it just kind of grounded the reality of everything. Well, and also I should say that that character that I mentioned, his name was Bernie. And one of the funny things mm. about him is, you know, I just said, okay, well, his name is like Bernard or something or Bernard or whatever. And uh, and it turns out, no, he's named Bernie because he likes to burn things. Burn things. His yeah, I like that as well. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so there were just like nice little touches in this episode, I thought. Um, I don't remember who, who wrote this episode. It was written by Helen Raynor. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Which, was... which is funny. I, I disliked every Doctor Who episode she ever did. It was like, she was, anytime I see her name, I'm like, oh, man. I got to the oh, point really? where I was like, I'm going to hate this episode. So when it, when it came up on this, I was like, no, not So you were not a like, Daleks in Manhattan fan? I, I was not it? a fan of that episode. Okay. No. <laughs> see, I kind of liked that episode, actually. That was... Uh... Uh, if it's that's the one where um, they have the Cult of Scaro, right? Or am I confusing it with that? Them? Is the Cult of Scaro yeah. one? Yeah, yeah. I kind of like that one actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I can see people liking it. I mean, I I kind of and it had its moments. There were there were parts of it I liked, but it, I just as a whole two parter. Mm. I, I you know I couldn't well, get into specifics now because I haven't that, watched it. Is, in is years, that the one but... where they were constructing the building, right? And they had the guys that had to go up onto the roof. Right? Was yeah, that... it's the Empire State Buildings being constructed. Okay, that was it. Yeah, yeah. see, I like yeah. see that part. I, I, I something about that that part of the uh, the storyline intrigued me. Um, though I, I I forgot it was the Empire State Building. Um, 
I think it was. I mean, I guess it could have been the Chrysler building, but I think it was the Empire State. No, you're State, probably right. But... You're probably right. I have a, I have a terrible memory. Um, but uh, but I think, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I uh, you know, I, I thought it was a good episode. It's, it, it, you know, it, 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 it it's... It's 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 kind of a safe episode because it doesn't like Torchwood can really venture into some odd territory and this is yeah. a little bit more in in the side of Doctor Who so I feel like it's a a nice safe episode if you want to show someone Torchwood without freaking them out. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, that's why I say I, I I you know it's like it's it's a safe choice for me to say I like that one better because it is it is just a nice standard supernatural show kind of episode and but it was just done very well. So, so I should say, so the next episode, uh, cyber woman, I just want to read what one critic wrote about it just to sort of set. So one critic (laughs) said, it's awful. It's horrific. It seriously, seriously sucks. Um, you know, so I, I think that, uh, it's safe to say that at least in my experience, when I've talked to people about cyber woman, it's, it's a pretty divisive episode. A lot of people don't Mm -hmm. like it. A lot of people do like it. Uh, I, I like this episode. I think that it's, uh, um, it's kind of got all of the best and worst of Torchwood put together. <laughs> you got like all the character melodrama, the sort of like 24 style, uh, melodrama between the characters where they're real, like, you know, Yanto in this episode is at times he's working against Torchwood at times he's not. And, and Jack Harkness is like full, like Jack Bauer mode. Um, it's, it's, yeah. um, so and I th- I think again I've, I've I'll probably say this a lot over these podcasts but I I think I think that twenty four had a huge influence on Torchwood and you really see that influence in this episode um, and also it's got like the you know like the sexy cyber woman bride so there's like a there's like a bride of Frankenstein element to the episode and it's definitely not like it's not how you generally think of a cyberman. Uh, being you know it's a it's a yeah it's a very different take on the, on the cybermen um but i think they go some really cool places with it um so so yeah so i i, I enjoy the episode i think it's i think it's a delightful episode and i think it's i uh i don't know for me it it, it kind of just captures the things about torchwood that make it different from doctor who um yeah but yeah. but but not everybody's a fan so i should i should i should put that out there <laughs> i, I... Yeah, I've got to say, I I definitely know people people just hate this episode. I, I something you know, someone that that uh, um, I I'm sorry, I I don't think I'm hearing you at all. Oh, oh, you can't hear me. Oh, I can't. I'm sorry. Oh, that's I'm sorry. okay. Everything's fine. Everything's oh, no, that's fine. fine. I uh, yeah. Um, continuing on. Yeah, I. Uh, I, I remember when this episode aired, like I said, I, I wasn't watching the show at the time for, I can't even recall why, but, uh, but yeah, I remember people being really pissed off about this episode when it aired. Do, and, do you remember what the reasoning generally was that people, uh, gave for I, not liking it? I don't because I didn't really get into the discussions cause I wasn't watching the show. I mean, but it, uh, I just, like I said, I, I can remember this. This was there, there's a few episodes that that will come up that I'm I'm kind of looking forward to seeing. And I I gotta say, I you know, I, I mean obviously I can see people being finding the whole you know sexy cyber woman thing kind of ridiculous. But I don't know. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't. I wasn't. I I I don't think I liked the episode as much as you, but I, I liked it. 
and uh, th- there's things about it that that didn't quite. I mean, the one thing that's interesting about it is is she deceiving them at the beginning? Like, you know, when they, once once they kind of get out, get her off the respirator thing, and and think, suddenly she starts acting, you know, in this Cyberman like yeah. way. But up to that point, she wasn't at all. And it's like, well, what triggered that, or was something triggered, or was she was she just putting on some act to try and get them to? allow give her some mobility i I don't i don't i don't know i I actually was asking that this time around as well and i was very i was finding it very difficult to answer that because i could see it like well she's she she was tricking him the whole time or maybe she wasn't tricking him but in the back of her mind her own brain was tricking her do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like so yeah i don't know and 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 i think the scene at the end where she so i used to be a pizza delivery person and and uh and so the, the, you know the, the pizza delivery person's worst nightmare you go to deliver a pizza and you have your brain taken out and replaced by it by a by a cybernetic machine um, it does happen but yeah. uh but she she so she 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 kills the, the the pizza delivery girl puts her brain in there as kind of a a, a loving gesture to Yanto like she's you know she's trying to, you know but but then she completely reverses it and says we can upgrade together so exactly uh, so that's I I don't really know what was going on I think that's that's one of the things that some people might take issue with with the episode is that it's a little unclear what it might have been better I think if they had if they had made her ending a little more tragic and had her legitimately want to be human in the final moment and then mm-hmm. something happens that, you know, either Yanto uh, kills her or, you know, like happens in the episode, the uh, the, the rest of Torchwood just guns her down. Guns um, her down, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I, 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 oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, uh, it's, I mean, yeah, because you've got a good point. It might have been more tragic if, if you know, she genuinely did want to be human again. And this was like her own, you know, she was so removed from humanity at that point. She purely thought, oh, this is a great way to be human again. I'll just take this, this human body. Whereas, yeah, having the, we should upgrade again, that kind of made an, oh, this is another trick to, I mean, you know, it just, it kind of took yeah. the tragedy and made it, oh, this is another kind of ruse to kind of lure him into becoming a Cyberman, you know, but uh but yeah it's complicated there's lots of ways to read it i mean i guess you could read it that because she had a partial upgrade her brain is just kind of scattered between the two impulses but well and also uh, after that bird got the pterodactyl got got to her body like that she kind of had no choice but to to find another host for true you know so uh, but but yeah i don't know i i think there's a lot of stuff that so a lot of the things I think that people don't like about this episode, number one, the, the sort of chainmail bikini cyber woman, the, um, <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the fact that Jack Harkness really is in like this morally gray territory, the entire episode and demand like, like he's, he's, he's on the one hand, he's being very forgiving of Yanto. Like Yanto is yeah. like the most unimaginable thing a person can do in Dr. Who. And, and he's still willing to work with them, which, which, you know, shows a certain degree of forgiveness, but he's also using that to manipulate him into being loyal and, and to manipulate the other people into being loyal. And so he's, he's got a very, you know, you can just sort of see that the dark stuff that comes out definitely by season three and four is present here. Um, and also just the, you know, the, 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 the sort of ridiculous nature of the story itself where, um, 
uh, you know, he's got this this cyber woman stashed away in the in the basement of Torchwood, um, which has got to be the least the <laughs> least like uh, vetted and secure structure, um, that, you know, that, that I've ever seen. You know, four episodes in already. Um, but yeah. I don't know, but but for me, this is like a lot of the stuff that I like about Torchwood. It just kind of does all this stuff. And it is very unapologetic about it. It just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it just sort of does what it wants and it gets it in it and it's very open to all kinds of things. So you, you can have really crazy storylines. Like, you know, you jump in in, in in season three. So you know that by that point, uh, Yanto and Jack are, are a couple. You know what I mean? Which is a tremendous yeah. arc if you if you're starting <laughs> off from the Cyberwoman point. You know that's a that's a real that's a real crazy storyline given what's going on between those two characters in the Cyberwoman episode. Um, so most definitely, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess another element that kind of troubled me is like why was she so hard to beat because it's not like she had the armor. I mean, she is wearing like you know the chainmail bikini thing, and it's like. Why they they established in the previous episode they've got this whole arsenal of guns in a shooting range. I mean, yeah. why 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 couldn't they just shoot her? You know? Yeah. I, well, they did shoot her ultimately, but I mean, why didn't they do it sooner? It's and why would a pterodactyl be able to kill her, but not a uh, not, not like a one of these massive guns that they? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I think there was a lot of hand wavy stuff going on this episode. Also, this is an episode you watch it and you realize I'm watching television from. Um, I'm not sure what year it was, but it's definitely like 10 years old. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, you watch yeah. it and you're yeah. like, I don't think the scene where she's like chasing her behind the bars and they keep going back and forth between her and the other character. I don't think that would um I don't think that would occur in a show made today. Uh so this was 2006, so like 11 years. Um so it feels a little dated this episode too whereas I think Ghost Machine doesn't feel quite as dated as uh as the Cyberwoman episode. Um, no, but but I, I'm enjoying the show still. Like I said, there's lots of things to do. But like you say, there it's 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 really fast moving. It's engaging. Uh, the characters are pretty entertaining, and so it's like, yeah, I can I, I can find all these little flaws in it. But there's never a point where I'm like, I can't watch this anymore. Okay. It just I I it, it's entertaining, and that's that's you know that's the key ingredient <laughs> but, <laughs> but i will say the one thing i do i like how they just have yanto as this guy in the background and then we suddenly learn that he's got all the like this this yeah. well of character just emerges this episode and i mean i don't know if they were planning it but to me it feels like this existed through, you know like they that they knew this was coming do you know what i mean it doesn't feel like it was sort of a sudden decision that uh they you know was sprung on the actor and the uh and the and the writing team yeah, it makes sense because uh, it, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, it does. It. I mean, well, it's so early in the in the series for them not to have any idea they were going to do it would be kind of strange. But but yeah, and like I said, now we've got we've at least gotten episodes where we've gotten almost all the characters have got an episode where we have some insight into their character. We're still waiting on Toshko to like find out what, oh, we'll, what we'll get, she's We'll get like, plenty but... of her. We'll get plenty for okay. her. She, she has some interesting... I like some of the storylines they do with her in that respect. Good. She's got a really cool one. Uh, I won't give anything away, but there's one that I think is a very interesting sort of... Uh, she she has... A, um, well, I don't want to give anything away, but, but she yeah. has some interesting <laughs> storylines. And Owen's got some cool ones coming down the road, too. Um, yeah. 
Uh, but uh, but again, if you've seen season three, you know you, you know that those characters aren't present in the uh, in the third season. So, uh, yeah, I, I I am aware that there is a lot of a lot of uh, death coming. But uh, as far as uh, as far as uh, as far as my my nitpicks go, too, I uh, I I have to say in the third episode, the the ghost machine one, I I thought it was hilarious that. You know, Owen, when he goes in to, like, talk to that guy, he opens up the glove box in his car, and he's got his big pile of, like, fake IDs. And he's got a fake ID for every purpose, and every fake ID is Owen Harper. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like that's, that's, that's not the best cover. You know, I'm the gas man, Owen Harper. I'm well, the member of unit, Owen Harper. It's like, mm, why well, don't I go with a deeper cover? The, also, the other thing, too, is he goes in that he clearly has no plan when he goes to talk to that guy. It's, yeah. it's a, it's a, there's a lot of that. Again, you know, there's a lot of stuff in this show where you feel like maybe they should be more organized or maybe they, you know, like maybe, they shouldn't, <laughs> you know, maybe they shouldn't fall for that trick again and again. But it's, you know, you got to it's not the kind of show that 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 worries about those details i think so no um, well i think honestly the comparison i can make this this show is a role-playing game this is just like yeah. a party of pcs that's and they <laughs> no that's that's a good thing it's that that's that's why i kind of say it's like a fun show it's not like a show, you know you don't want to take like a fine microscope to this show and expect great things you you it's it's, it's no, enjoyable it's, it's in the fun. same way that a you know a crazy campaign of of unusual characters sort of just thrown into a room can 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 be so but they do get into yeah. some cool stuff and 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 you'll see there are points in the show where it reconnects with the doctor who storylines where i uh -huh. think it's worth the time investment even if you don't even if somebody doesn't really like the show too much if you like doctor who enough it's worth watching at least the first two seasons i think just to to see where it lines up um yeah, I remember they're having some notable crossovers in Doctor Who, so I can see that paying off from that perspective. But uh, yeah, I, it's it's fun. Like I said, it's it's I can enjoy a show about a bunch of player characters. That's uh, that's not not a problem for me. Yeah, <laughs> I would say that's a good description of Torchwood. Um, <laughs> I, I think when it gets to season three, it changes, it changes gears, and it becomes a it much, much more serious show. But um, uh, you know, which, which we, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we can, maybe we can continue going up through season four. Um, by season four, I think it really does just become 24. Um, yeah. Well, I've watched season three already, if you recall. And yeah. I, I watched, I watched the first couple episodes of season four and that was where I bailed. I was like, I, okay, I'm yeah. done. I think season three is a strong season. Like I think they, 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 they have that 24 influence, but it's, it's, I think they do it by day. It's not by hour. Right. And that one, it was like mm -hmm. each day. It is. I think that it works is. better. And I think that they, they had it was only something like what was it six episodes? It was a very short mm -hmm. season, and I think that that enabled them to really trim the fat. And if they were gonna do it serious, make it work. Uh, I think the problem that they run into with the fourth season is, I, I believe there's like twenty four episodes. I could be wrong. Maybe it's twelve, but there's there's a lot of episodes, and I feel like because they're doing that every they, every episode is an hour. If I'm if I'm recalling correctly, um, yeah. It's yeah. uh, it, I don't know. It just it just felt like, well, did we really need that thirteenth hour or this hour? You know, some of this could have been taken out. Um, <laughs> and I think it ran into the same problems twenty four ran into. You know, with with that issue. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, but, uh, 
Yeah, it's 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 a thing though. I I think there's plenty of room for TV that's just you know we're in the golden age of of TV drama right now, but not everything needs to be that kind of thing. I I, I still like a good just weird over the top sci-fi show once in a while, and that's what okay. this is. And and I just looked it up. It looks like Miracle Day is um is ten episodes. So I was I was incorrect there. It's not twenty four. Um, okay. so it doesn't quite get okay. into the twenty four. Uh, territory um but uh but yeah so uh well so so um yeah so why don't we shift gears now and talk about uh random encounters and games because we were we were discussing this uh uh in, in specifically rpgs uh this had come up uh in some discussions we were following online and um there was you know there was a uh uh some posts about whether uh whether random encounters uh, are a good thing or a bad thing, and in particular whether they interfere with things like story or connecting, uh, you know, connecting to the adventure and and keeping things focused, and and so I I, I know that you had a lot of thoughts on that, um, and I had a lot of thoughts sure. on that. So I don't know why don't, why don't you start with some of the things that you were thinking, and I'll uh, I'll jump in with my thoughts. Yeah, I I think they're a useful tool. Like, and, and I mean, as far as a, as a random encounter goes, you don't need them. They're not something I, I say every game must have random encounters. But the idea that you can't have a story based game and random encounters doesn't make sense. Because like I've got early, you know a number of early TSR modules and uh, and they all have the random encounter tables. And the random encounter tables are generally tied in to that particular adventure it's like mm. oh here's a patrol of cultists that are the cult in the dungeon here's you know a group that's coming to join the cult you know like you know and uh, it's it there, there are events that happen that are tied into the story that's occurring and they yeah. stop they stop a location from feeling static yeah and I, and I think you can do it either way i think i think you can you can have it be done that way where it ties in with the adventure you can have you could even have random encounters that if the story is more, if the if the adventure is is more story structured or more adventure path like, that mm-hmm. ties into that, it's just a matter of how those components are brought into the session. Um, but you can also run it. You know, not every game is operates that way. Some games are a little bit more open, and you have random weird things happen that have nothing to do with, uh, with like a central adventure or whatever. And, and it's really about fitting them to the campaign. But I I, I just see them as tools that. I don't know. I find them useful. I find um, I, I I cut my teeth running Ravenloft in the '90s. That was sort of my game that I would always run, and uh, I'm a, my memory's a little fuzzy on the specifics. But the way that it was pretty much set up is they they kind of poo pooed random encounters. They talked more about planned yeah. encounters. You could still have random encounters, but they were like, that's not where the horror really happens. The horror happens around the planned encounters because you have time to sort of structure an encounter and do all this stuff, and 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 to tie it into the the storyline that's going on, um, and I did that. I, I you know I ran you know I was I was a very good follower <laughs> of rules and procedures, and I would I would I, I did it the way the books told me to for a long time. Uh, yeah. And and I and and to the point that I just kind of you know I just looked down on random encounters. But then after a while, I started to become curious again about random encounters, and and so maybe towards the end of the '90s or something, I. I, I started using them and, and seeing the benefit. And it was like, it was like, it was like drinking water for the first time for me. It was like, you know, it was like, I, 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 
I had been depriving myself of this very useful tool on, on a principle that, that it turned out was somewhat misguided. Do you know what I mean? It was, yeah. You know, there's a yeah. certain, there's certainly a place for planned encounters in games. I don't think, I think you can have planned encounters, but you don't have oh, to yeah. have planned encounters. And there's, and there's a way to be more free form. That's a lot more fun. I think, I think, I think when I'm running a game, I have a lot more fun if I am rolling encounters during play. And then there's this sort of game I have to play as a GM role. I'm like, okay, why is that magistrate suddenly here? What's going on? You know, what's the what's the reason that he's approaching the PCs specifically? Um, and 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 you and, and what explanation you come up with for that can be it can be it can be tied to any any rationale you want. It can be story rationale. It can be world building rationale. It can be you know the cool the rule of cool rationale. It can be yeah. genre. It can be adventure. It can be anything. Um, and I think the skill that's important for the GM to have is to be able to take those table results and interpret them and then apply them. And some tables are more specific than others and make that easier. Some are more generic, but what the generic ones allow for is, is, is it makes it easier for the GM to have total freedom to interpret the, the result. Um, so, so if I have a result that's like, you know, I don't know, Fox demon that, uh, uh, you know, is somehow tied to the adventure that that the encounter table is is a part of. Uh, you know, wants this specific item that the players are supposed to be getting or something. Then, I'm, then that 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 can limit me a little bit more. If it just says fox demon, then I have you know any possibility in the world. Do you know what I mean? So, yes. But I but agree. but that that can maybe put more pressure on the GM. So they both have their benefits, I think. Um, yeah, and it's I mean, as far as far as it goes too, you also get the benefit of uh there's situations like if a player goes into like hostile territory if you're doing only set encounters you're deciding basically when they encounter things and it's it you know it it it, it, put, it puts a lot of gm you know fiat into the story whereas if you have random encounters it's like okay you're going to be going you know marching for three days through enemy territory yeah you know, we, we're going to see, maybe you'll run into enemy patrols. Maybe you won't. Let's find out. And it becomes a gamble and it's, uh, it adds a level of excitement to it. Well, and it and, makes travel feel real too. I find Do you know, yeah. that, that sense of, I'm, you know, that sense of, well, I'm going through the wilderness and what might happen. Um, but, uh, I, I guess the other thing too is for me, one of the things I don't like that doesn't work for my style of gaming, um, is 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 building adventures around encounters that the uh uh-huh. sort of structuring the adventure around a series of encounters that you have planned uh that just yeah. does i just find that very difficult to work with and i think that's a but i think that's a fairly common style of play so i think that's uh-huh. i can see how somebody who runs a game that way might not uh, a random encounter might throw a wrench in that style but but i think what people need to understand is a lot of people really don't like running games that way so that that yeah. has, uh, um, you know, it has. There's, there's no, for me, there's. It's not throwing a wrench in anything when I roll on a random encounter. It's just adding to the game. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with running these series of planned encounter adventures in their own way. They're just a different thing. I mean, if you've got, you know, like, uh, you know, the game Feng Shui would always kind of encourage that because you're going from one very deliberately arranged like combat scene mm-hmm. to another and it's like okay yeah each 
the, the, the play is when you get into each scene and what you yeah. do in each scene. So it's just it's shuffling you quickly between them. Yeah. Which, you know, isn't my ideal style, but there's nothing wrong with that style and I can have a lot of fun playing it. But, yeah, I mean, really a reason I like Random Encounters is for me, you know, if I run a session and everything, I, you know, I made my plans ahead of time and everything goes exactly the way I planned it, I'm disappointed. It's like I like to be, you know, even as a GM, I like to be surprised in what happens. And I mean, yeah. a lot of times it's just going to be the players that surprise you because they're going to do things I don't expect. Things are going to happen because of yeah. things they do I didn't expect. But, but random encounters add another element to that on top of it, where yeah. the story that unfolds is not going to be me, you know, knowing, yep, I knew we were going to come to the big boss fight now, and blah, 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 you know, and I mean, it's boring for me. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's how I feel about it. I mean, and and I think you can. I think so. I have two ways of bringing encounters into games when I'm running them. One is the random encounter, and one is okay, something happened two days ago and somebody got mad at the party and I feel like they would do something about it. And so, yeah. do you know what I mean? There's, there's that. So I think, you know, as long as, you know, for me, as long as I have those two tools to work with, I'm fine. Um, you know, the, the random encounters are there to mix things up. The, the, the counter there, there, the, then I will have encounters that are just more connected with whatever is going on that, you know, is a natural consequence of events that have happened. Um, you yeah. know, or, or the agency of an NPC that's involved with the characters somehow. Um, but, uh, but yeah, for me, you know, that, I guess that's more the situational style uh, of running things, but, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I like the, I like having things mixed up because I, there are things I would do if I was just left to my own devices and, and, you know, that's fairly easy to predict, but the random encounters really mix things up and, and they and they force they force me to to consider things that I haven't thought about that that might that might be of interest to the players if it comes up might not but it might it might, so, not, but yeah. it might. yeah exactly players sometimes you'll have a random encounter and it's some nothing monster you've never thought about from the monster manual and then you know just I'm using D and D terminology for everything just to keep it generic but uh you know but. And the players are like, whoa, and they get all excited about it. You're like, oh, I didn't know the players <laughs> were really excited about this. I might have to make them an element of, uh, of, the, of the story here. You know, In future, yeah. I'm going to have to have a faction of them that, that becomes part of it. Because, yeah, you, you never would have thought to put that in the game. Well, and, and this, kind of tie, this thought sort of ties to the Ravenloft thing as well and is beyond encounters. But I think, I think GMs in general, we have a tendency to want things to look glossy. We want, them to, we want everything to have like a, a, a tone that if you were making a movie, you could sort of <laughs> uh -huh. step back and say, ah, this is, you know, this is nice and inconsistent. And, uh, but sometimes that's the worst thing you can do for a game. Sometimes just picking the most random thing out of your brain that you can to add excitement can be the thing that keeps uh, a game going rather than the thing that keeps it thematically consistent, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like, I like agree. I, so, so I think, I think being able to free up your imagination, that's, that's what random tables do for me. They, they somehow free up my imagination. So I don't feel as weird about choosing these things that I might not be inclined to choose to throw at the party. Um, yeah, and, and granted, yeah. I'm making the tables in advance much of the time, but when I'm making them, I'm, you know, I'm like sitting down and trying to do that. I'm trying to think outside the box, and it and it and I, and I can sort of package outside the box thinking and then bring it into the game randomly. 
Yeah, and I mean, you could also, another thing with random tables, too, in general, not just random encounter tables, is juxtapositions you can get between, you know, you get element A and element B, and when you roll both, you're like, whoa, how would those two things fit together? It's something you never would have thought about, and suddenly you you come up with some really, really creative idea behind it. But, yeah, it's, it's a... Uh, I mean, yeah, it is. It, the thing is, you do fall in as a GM. It's real easy to fall into your typical shtick that you do every time. There's just familiar moves that, as a GM, you have, and it's it just breaks you out of it. I mean, it, it's and I mean, and, and and I also I've got to admit, you know, you mentioned how in the '90s you were following the rules of not using them and everything, and it's like, yeah, I went through the '90s. I don't think I used random encounters at all either. I I had in the '80s, but I. I got away with it and I was too mature for it. And it was Savage Worlds that actually kind of got me back into them. Not, okay. not random encounter tables exactly, but uh, in their settings like 50 Fathoms and stuff, they'd have these pages of, you know, instant plot generator tables yeah. where you just roll, you know, oh, here's the enemy, here's what they want, blah, 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 and roll on that. And I was like, wow, this is great. You know, it's giving me all these cool adventure ideas that I wouldn't have gotten just by you know, coming up with my own ideas based on the setting. No, ra- random is cool sometimes. Like I have um, I have a random name generator I've been doing, and that's become one of my starting points for a lot of my NPCs. Not all of them, huh. but I find if I'm making, you know, and, and, and granted, I, like, I run Wusha games, so it's very, you know, names are really important. And uh, and I, yeah. I, t- I would tend to lean towards certain names, but, but I... I I made a point of constructing a list that had things on there that I wouldn't normally use. And so now when I get these results, my characters go in directions that they wouldn't otherwise go. And, uh, and so I think, I think that random really helps kind of sort of just jolt you a little bit and, and get you, get you to say, okay, if I am stuck with this thing, how am I going to make it work? Um, you know, (laughs) and that's, and that can, I think that makes it more interesting for the party. Um, you know, because they're not always being—they're not always stuck with the same foes that you would throw at them. You know, I might—you know—what I always say is, left to—you know—if if, if it were up to me, pretty much every Ravenloft session would have been flesh golems and werewolves. Like that would have—you know—that's just sort of what I would tend to lean to. Those are my go-to monsters. And, uh, yeah. and, and that gets really boring after a while. If that's all you're doing, you know, I'm, I'm sure you can, I mean, with Ravenloft, one of the great things about it is you can customize monsters. So you could, you could do all kinds of things. You could make a flesh golem werewolf if you wanted to, you know, you could, you could really, <laughs> yes, you could really do kind of crazy <laughs> stuff, but, um, you know, which would be an interesting monster. Cause you'd have like the werewolf head and like the werebear feet and like all kinds of interesting things going on. But, but oh, it, yeah. it's, uh, you know, but if you have a random table, you you know somebody who doesn't use vampires might use them more. Somebody who doesn't use liches might use them more. Um, it just gets you to try out monsters that you might not consider. Um, which yeah, I think is handy. I, and uh, it's well, I mean, it also just gives areas a different a different flavor too. You know, I mean, because I mean, you know, the typical D and D thing is you've got oh, here's the random encounter table for the mountains. Here's the one for the forest. Here's the one for the desert and it uh it's, it's an easy way just to, to flavor yeah, different no, areas I, I would agree but but again just to bring it back to the original uh discussion that was online too i i do think that it's really a very easy matter to tie those results into uh into us if, if, if you're running it more like a story to tie it into that if you're running it you know if you want everything connected to the adventure connecting that point all you have to do is ask well how is this connected 
And then that's yeah. the stepping point. That's that's it. You can you can have the tables themselves answer those questions for you, but really I think it's probably gonna be smoother if the GM just asks, How is this connected to X? and then answers that question. Um, yeah. Well, looking at Wuja too, it's like going by the, the last Wuja movie re- we reviewed, you know, Web of Terror. It's it, with that. There's all these random coincidences that occur through in the plot. Like, oh, you know, I mean, it, you know, you know, the, the main character runs into Susu randomly just because she's, you know, it's like, oh, it's like if that was the PC, you, you roll up. Oh, Susu is there in there. Why, why would the, why would the daughter of the, of this sect be there and you come up with this this thing oh she's in disguise as a guy yeah. and it's like it it that's it's it's a very wuja kind of thing to have these kind of weird random encounters that then set off big chain reactions throughout the story well well the cool thing about wuja um is uh is is that the fate plays a role in in a lot of the storylines and so when characters meet like that it's often you know sort of just taken as fate faded and so that's mm-hmm. why they're 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 connected like that. And so I find that you can just run with that idea in a wuxia campaign and be like, oh, yeah. okay, if this is happening, then it's meant to be for some reason, maybe. And you can tie it to things more freely uh, in a in a more traditional fantasy campaign. I think it would maybe be a harder sell some of the time. But I find in a wuxia campaign, one of the great things about it is is that genre convention of you know the characters are you, you know you can have these. Uh, these really coincidental uh, <laughs> moments like that, um, and 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 it, and it can kind of bring things to a head really quickly as a result. Um, so so yeah. yeah, that's a. It's definitely something that, that, and I find players don't really mind it for the most part. I mean, every once in a while you get a player who'll be like, well, "That's odd," but for the most part, a lot of the players seem to enjoy enjoy it as long as you're playing fairly with it and you're not like using it to be manipulative and uh, you know like railroad them somewhere. Um, well, like random encounters, you're saying, or um, the idea of the of things oh, being fate. coincidentally related. So if you oh, roll yeah, something sure. and then it ties in, um, you know, you, you know, you could use that as a GM to force a, a, a something that they tried to avoid upon them. Do you know what I mean? Um, sure. So, sure. So that, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think um, you know, you, using it as sort of like, okay, if this result came up, then it's faded and it must have some connection, then that's a, that's an interesting starting point. Um, and I, I sometimes do that uh, when I find it helpful to think in those terms. I, you know. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I mean, it, and, you know, another thing too, it just creates a sense of the world being wider because it's like, it's nice to have the ideal simulationist perfect campaign where everything is planned ahead. You know where everything is and what everyone is up to, but it's like, that's that's never really going to happen. It's like you know, it's it's always you know, it, you know, you're, if you if you are really doing that, you're you're going to limit what's in your campaign because you can only do what the GM can manage behind the scenes. Whereas if you've got these random moving parts popping in all the time, it's like oh, there really is this this wider world. But, yeah, and I think I think that's always true. I mean, I, I tend to think of it when I'm when I'm running a campaign like that. I tend to think of it more as like. Uh, a sandbox drama is kind of how I how mm-hmm. I've sort of come to to conceive of it, and that 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 for me works. Um, and I think I think the trick with any game that's free form and open like that is really finding the explanation for it that works for you as a GM, um, <laughs> so that you're not like, you know, you can you can you you can end up f- uh, really struggling if uh, 
if you're trying to do something that isn't coming naturally. So, um, so for me with the, uh, uh, with, with sandboxes, the, you know, the, uh, the, the random encounters as, as potential adventure hooks is a real, it, it can be a real lifesaver if you're, if you're running a game and you, you know, you don't, you don't just want them to be sort of, uh, uh, you know, just obstacles, in, in, in a, you know it, it put in the way of the party for for, for no reason at all you, if you bring them in as as having uh, adventure hooks it's it's uh, it's a little I find that a little bit more useful personally yeah yeah I agree I mean it's uh, I mean and that's the thing too I mean we're going back to the constructed tables if your tables you know obviously we've got the completely random tables but we've got the one specific to an adventure too so that they, they can be they can be a way to to kind of lay stuff down that's going to be a future adventure, or also to bring stuff back. It can remind you of things that happened in a previous adventure. I mean, if the if the party ran afoul of some faction three sessions ago and you haven't thought about them, then suddenly you you roll and a member of that faction shows up and you're yeah. like, oh yeah, now they're now they're back for their revenge. Well, and I'm you know? and I'm using the term adventure hook really loosely here. I mean it more like you know when you're switching channels and you get stuck on a you, you go to a random program and you just start watching it because it somehow yeah. engaged you. That's yeah. sort of how I deal with random encounters. So for for me, adventure hook means something's going on. That the party, gotcha. you know, that the party, feel, gotcha. like, like, and it's totally their choice. They don't have to engage this material. And so it could be anything from, so an adventure hook really could be anything from some animal trainer in the city flagging them down and asking for a volunteer to stick his head in a crocodile or, I don't know, an owl <laughs> demon or something, uh, to, to, to somebody who's got a much more involved motivation, like they're trying to retrieve a relic or save somebody from um you know from from being a slave in the in a tin mine somewhere uh but but i but i what i do is when i get a result i and i don't do this all the time because your brain can't do this every single time you know you're 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 human you sometimes you you go on autopilot but when i'm conscious of what i'm doing i really do try to think of okay you know i got this result what's going on that's more interesting about this result? You know, like trying to just like in a very, very rapid fire. That's where I think taking notes is really helpful because I find it really makes a difference if I have a notepad in front of me and I roll a result and I immediately start writing, okay, this is the guy's name. This is what he wants. His sister is lost over it. You get all these like just random things just that your head just throws on the page. And sure. and you have it ready to go if the players engage it. You know, they might not or they might just kill the person or do whatever. But <laughs> but uh, but I, I, I find that uh, thinking this. So that's what I mean by adventure hook. Like what's the stuff that's baked in that um, that the players will find engaging? Not necessarily, oh, over yonder hill is a, um, you know, is a dungeon that you need to go into and, and get the Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, cause sometimes hooks not following a hook can be, is can be interesting in its own way too. It's like, if you don't, somebody comes to you for help and you turn them down, it's like that, yeah. that can have its own ramifications down well, the line. So my Sunday game is like, you know, that, that for them, detectable adventure hooks are just not, of interest. So again, I think with all this stuff, you always have to read the players and know what your group is, but um, you know, not, you know, and that, and that's why I think my concept of adventure hook is sort of softened to be, to really just mean engaging. Um, Yeah. I I get what you're saying. Well, I mean, the Saturday group that I'm in, I, you know, you kind of threw 
two what I would call a, kind of a, a harder hook and a softer hook mm-hmm. at me at one point, which was when we when we went out we went we went off to uh, do a guard job to try and get a guard job at a temple, and on the way there, this woman tries to get us to rescue her husband who disappeared at the temple and my character being a jerk is just like yeah whatever i i you know i kind of noted the name in case i can do something with it later but I, I'm, I'm not interested in helping her but i'll see if you know out of my own interest maybe i'll find something out mm-hmm. and then we and so that would be like a hard hook and then when we got the job at the temple, you have this woman come up who wants to get in that we're not supposed to let anyone in. And I mean, that was kind of a soft hook. It was an encounter. Like I felt that was, that was great. You know, it was, it was a great role playing scene. It wasn't like it led to an adventure, but it, it led to a good character interaction, which is something you can get. And I, like I said, I, you didn't know you were going to get the guard job. So I know that this all was, was, you know, very quick stuff on the spot, but yeah, and it all worked. It was a, uh, but but once again, I, you know, I I I felt like I was engaged with the setting. I mean, and once again, even just not following that hook, it it raised it raised the th- knowledge of, oh, there's there's weird stuff going on at this mm-hmm. temple. Maybe I'll look into it. Maybe I won't. But this temple is a somewhat sinister place in my mind now, which makes it interesting. And it's funny, though, that you guys are kind of on the side of the temple at this point, which was... Which yeah. Was <laughs> and that's one of, the, one of the things I like about... I think it's really important to be able to allow players to reject hooks. Do you know I mean? Like, if you are going to throw yes. hooks at them, you have to be open to the hook not being received. You know what I mean? And it's like... Mm-hmm. And the one way to look at it, because, I mean, you know, is, oh, these players are being jerks. They're not taking my hooks. But I think I think that that's not the right way to approach a, a game like this because at the end of the day, it's still a game. And yeah. and that's why I think random encounters are an important factor in it. And, and like you said, that was a hook. I just, I got the result. I On, on the table result, I think it, I, I've adjusted it because I, that's something that I'm play testing. But at the time, it said something to the effect of, you know, her husband went in the temple. She hasn't seen him and she's looking for, you know, like basically people that look tough to go in there and, and, and get, yeah. the, get the get the get the husband. Um, and so I just kind of, you know, r- ran with the result. Um, but the other one was a slightly more interesting. Uh, I thought that the, the softer hook was the more interesting one because, yeah, it, it just I don't know. It just worked better. It, it had uh, it led to more things and it could have it could have gone in other directions. We didn't really know where it was going to go because there was kind of a standoffish moment where, Oh, maybe this woman's going to attack them or maybe not. Who knows what's going to happen? There was, you know, cause you guys were refusing our entry into the temple. Um, so, you know, um, and then it kind of diffused and, and, and you guys were able to go on your way, but it, I, I like not knowing how these things are going to pan out that to me, that's the more interesting stuff at the table. But, and, and again, I think the players being able to say no to hooks is important because that they 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 have to be able to assert their own independence in the setting do you know what i mean and so it's great that they know like you said it's great that you know that there's that sinister element there but it's not for your character it's not your uh it's not his bag so he's gonna go find something else to do um, yeah, you know, but it, but it, but it, it, the setting is the setting is more vivid for having had that hook thrown at me. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's it's also a case where you know the uh, I lost my train of thought there. Um, the the uh, the hook 
I don't know what that's I'm okay saying. that's okay we've been going on this one for for a long time now actually anyways um and there there is one other gaming topic we did want to get on to so um uh we we're going to get into uh online gaming because you and i are involved in a lot of online games and yes and you know we i don't think we've talked about it really in terms of you know just general online gaming do's and don'ts and uh and what uh what what we've observed uh works for us um i know you know i, I know that you've been in a lot of online games um, yeah i've been doing it for years years now and uh yeah i i i i'm not someone that that ever uses the uh virtual tabletop stuff anymore i i i've i've gone with that but I find I find when you do virtual tabletops, you know, it's like, you know, at the time I started getting into video chat, I've been playing a lot of Savage Worlds. And Savage Worlds, you know, you've got miniatures, you got dice. I wouldn't always use miniatures when I use Savage Worlds, you know, face to face, but I, I would on and off use them. And you know, but the thing is, when I was doing it face to face, you've got a battle mat. I've got all my dry erase markers. I can scribble stuff down on the mat. I I don't feel confined at all. But when you use a virtual tabletop, you kind of you have you need to have those pre-prepared maps. You need yeah. to have, you know, and also players are going to take a lot more time. You know, instead of just moving their piece around, they're they're using the interface and selecting their action, and mm-hmm. it it just slows down so much that I I I I don't feel like you know I I don't feel like I could wing it. Like you know, going back to our last segment, talking about us going, hey, we're gonna get a job at Temple, and we're gonna. Yeah. You know, and this kind of thing. It's like, and you're like, oh, I don't have a temple map prepared, and you oh, know, yeah, and, yeah. and yeah. you know, you, you want to keep your players going to those places you prepared the maps for. <laughs> yeah. and, and when you say maps, you mean maps that you've like prepared for visual display for the players to see, not just maps that you have prepared in your adventure well, book, right? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, like a grid map that you can move your minis around, mm. that you can put in the virtual tabletop, and they've got their counters ready that they're going to move around this map, you know. And it's like that. Oh, that that's just no. I mean, it it can be fun. Like I said, you know, I know people that do a good job with it, but it doesn't work for me as a GM. I I can't, I can't, I can't deal with all of that. I like my prep to be me. You know, I, I like to do a lot of prep before a campaign, but my session prep is really loose and really quick, and I yeah. can't, I, I can't, I can't work with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to prefer upkeep rather than prep between sessions, where you just kind yeah. of manage the details of what you need to know, like you know who's dead, who's alive, um, you know who might be plotting against the players, and uh, you know what, you know what, in thinking about maybe okay, if they do do this, th- these mm-hmm. are some things that could result, but. Um, but yeah, I like to do more of the prep before the campaign starts as well. Uh, and I found that my, my se- session prep is, is, uh, is, is less th- than the, uh, than the, the campaign prep. Um, I think that's yeah. easier. I think as much, you know, and I, I've been, I've been doing online games now. Uh, I have one campaign that's really been going for, I think like two, two and a half years at this point. And, uh, it's 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 a split campaign because the group started and we 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 ran the campaign for i don't know 45 sessions or something like that and then we got a new player and we decided to restart to to introduce the player to the um to the game the campaign world and the system and Uh and so that session is now on i think that campaign is what are we on session 
sessions and it's into the 50s I don't, I don't know i don't know what the precise number is um and uh and so that's um uh you know that's that's been going on for for a while and and it's 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 probably been my most successful campaign and the big thing that makes it successful is, is meeting every week um and then it's just like a regular campaign it doesn't feel any different to me than a uh, a live session at this point um and i have a every other week uh campaign which is live but sometimes we'll do it online because a couple of the players are remote players and so if we have a session where somebody else is going to have to meet remotely we might just do the whole thing remote um yeah and then the saturday one that you're on is uh is remote i have a monday one that's remote and the cool thing about remote play is it lets you play with people all over the world so Mm -hmm. i'm not limited to just players in massachusetts i can play with anybody and uh the only real restraint is uh uh the the only real constraint is um time time zones um yeah which 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 can be an issue i mean when you have i had one campaign with a guy in australia some people in england and and me and and working the time differences out was, was oh, yeah. pretty tricky. Um, yeah, I'm, and, I'm being from Australia. I, I when I when I'm down in Australia and I want to get involved in gaming going on in the U.S., it's just like nah, it's it's, it's yeah, it's it's close to impossible. It, it, <laughs> we, we we found a time, believe it or not, we found a time. And then when we um, and then on the sun, Sunday game, we had a player that was in China, and that was uh, that was also very challenging to, for that person because they you know we had our time to meet and so mm-hmm. he had to be up at like the crack of dawn to to play the campaign um but uh but so it was just on the cusp of when would be like an acceptable uh starting point um, wow but uh but, uh, but yeah I, th- I i think online gaming is great and i think i think like you said focusing a little more on theater of the mind is something that really helps helps it work not getting caught up on the role like the honor system i know people can cheat and people probably do cheat from time to time but really just not worrying about the you know what i mean like yeah well think yeah on the dice thing it's like when i run a game at the tabletop it's like i don't sit there and watch other people's dice rolls even in real life i mean you know the players sitting across the table they roll dice go oh i got a seven i'm like okay you got a seven i don't i don't like lean over and, and check it it's like so People could be cheating all the time in my real life games too, so I don't see why I need to obsess on it in an online game. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not too worried about it, and also it's it's I find it's easy to kind of sense when that's going on. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so, I know. You know what I mean? There's the people have a way of lying about that that's usually pretty obvious. Um, so if if it does happen, it, you, I think you can you can spot it usually yeah. pretty quickly. Um, yeah, the game we played with with our friend Drew recently. I have to say, I I felt bad one session because we're playing online and I was getting amazing roll yeah. after amazing roll, and I'm like, no one can see my dice. Yeah. I feel like everyone's gonna think I'm yeah, cheating because that, that, I'm rolling the, ten, ten, ten. That's the only time <laughs> that I really don't like online gaming is when I'm on a winning streak and I feel like people might suspect I'm not on a winning streak. That's, that's I know. The, it's, it's you know you almost want to move your camera over the dice. Um, in fact, I yeah. have players that will do that sometimes. They'll just they'll put the camera right over the dice as they roll them, um, just to show that they're. But uh, which is another thing you can do depending on your setup um, and how how much you want to move your computer around or your laptop around. Um, yeah. But yeah. And, and dice rollers are a thing. I mean, people can use dice rollers if they want to. Those those, those certainly. I I kind of like rolling dice. I don't like. Putting, exactly. Inputting numbers and then pushing a, pushing a button. It just I, 
I know it's the same. It's probably even more random than an actual die at this point. Um, it's not actually. Oh, it's not? Okay. I mean, the thing is, computers can't actually do random But can't numbers. they simulate it to the point that it's actually basically random, or is it not? They, well, they, they can. They can. But I'm saying, I, w- I wouldn't say it's more random than okay. a die, just because, you know, well, dice are... I, I've just seen all these videos where people do, like, the tests to see how, like, balanced the die is. And, and I don't, you know... I don't know how deeply that affects any of the actual results. Um, but but yeah. I still like having the dice in my... I like the feel of dice. That's an important like it is. part of playing the game to me. Um, so I so you know, so you know, I, I like to roll them. Um, but they do have dice rollers if people don't. The 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 only the only real downside I think to online gaming is is, is it can be easy for people to get lazy with um, uh, things like bookkeeping because you can look at everything on like I can go into all my documents on the computer and look them up and so it, it is you you have to kind of you kind of have to stay on top of your your actual folder prep and make sure that doesn't fall behind I find um, yes I agree or at least you have to if you're going to use stuff electronically you have to find a good way to organize it because yeah. just working from PDFs is tricky I mean a trick I found I use a uh, Microsoft OneNote which allow has a screen clipping function mm-hmm. where you can clip things. So, for example, with uh, Wandering Heroes of Ogre Gate for my character, I you know had the PDF open when I was making my character. Every time I selected a, a technique for my character, I screen clipped that little square of text mm-hmm. into a OneNote folder, and now I've got this OneNote folder that's just you know a list of every technique that I have and the actual text and. Yeah. It's, you know, I can, I can hop between those very quickly. Like that's one way that you can organize material online, but yeah, just try, trying to, trying to work from PDFs without any preparation ahead of time. is very hard for me. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've kind of gotten adept at the, at the, at, at, at sifting through my, my PDF notes when I'm, when I'm mm-hmm. running a game. Um, but that's largely a product of me playtesting stuff that I'm running. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So like I have things in this PDF format that I would never have. Like I would never, you know, my campaign notes are totally different than how I would normally structure uh, a book that I'm going to release. But because I'm playtesting them, uh, I tend to, I tend to just pull them up during play. Um, but, uh, which which has kind of led me to structure them a little bit more like I would structure my campaign notes if that makes sense simply because i'm pulling yeah. them up all the time um yeah but, but yeah i think uh i think that uh that i don't know on, i think online gaming i really like like 10 years ago it was very easy to complain about how hard it was to find a game group i mean like, like i i you know if, yeah. you, if you left your campaign there's like what maybe if you're lucky four other campaigns in your city and and you might know one or two of them and then you got to like you know ask permission to join and or you know you have to go to your local game store and find people that aren't crazy and you know you got to do all the do all the stuff and and it's a whole thing but online is very easy to connect with people and then if it's not working people just you know they can find other people fairly quickly and um so i I think it may it's like a it's almost like a golden age because i like especially like before if i like wanted if i was like making something and wanted to find playtesters it was the hardest thing in the world and now it's like super easy to find people to to play with online Um, it is i I even see people uh, on google hangouts and facebook they'll just be like hey i want to play a game tonight who's on board and 
was on. Don't, yeah, don't. well, I, when I, I was a play tester on Hill Folk, and for whatever reason, everybody I knew was busy at that time when I was mm-hmm. trying to play test it. Like, you know, I, I was expecting to be able to pull in Robert and, uh, you know, Dan, a bunch of people I was doing a campaign with. And, and none of them were available. And I was like, man, I've, I've committed to this play test and I've gotten this free document. I'm going to feel like crap if I don't, you know, submit a play test report. And I just I just went on Google Hangouts and was like, hey, who wants to play test Hill Folk? And boom, I had a group within an hour. And, and it was it was actually very interesting because it's this very narrative style game. And I got I got like a guy who'd only played D&D, a guy who'd only played Shadowrun. And I got like all these people that you'd never, you know, it was like I was like, wow, I'm really testing this system to yeah. see how it works against just, you know, people that play traditional games. And it works great. Well, that's that's so. another thing about it is you get you get a much wider style like one of the benefits of, of, you know, you play with somebody from across the country or in another country or, or, you know, wherever you get exposed to like, Oh, is this, you know, over there, they may be doing a little bit differently. Maybe there's like a slightly different gaming culture and you kind of get exposed to that. And, um, and you also just, you you encounter people who run games just differently than you do. Maybe it's the same style, but they have a whole different method of prep and a different method of, of, of getting the campaign off the ground. And it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. So, um, yeah. So I, f- I find it I find it helpful, uh, um, you know, and I, and I and I grew up in an area where there really wasn't a poverty of, of gamers. You know, I grew up in um, the area around Salem between Boston and, mm-hmm. you know, Salem, not probably not so much anymore. But in the 90s, there was a, there were a, there was a lot of gaming stuff going on there in the 90s. And in uh, um, Boston, you know, we have we have, you know, you know, plenty of game shops and stuff. So. I it, it's always been fairly easy to to get players and even in my high school I I we had an astounding number of people that played role playing games for whatever reason yeah. so Same I remember, with me. yeah so I mean I was just lucky in that respect um but, yeah it's just the thing is the thing is once you move to a new place though it's like finding gamers can often be easy it's finding the right gamers yeah. well, you know it's like the people that you that you connect with and you have the same taste with yeah. and it just everything flows well well and also as you get older that gets harder to do you know what i mean you get responsibilities you get you know you, yeah you're not, you're not making friends every week the way you are when you're when you're a younger person so uh, yeah, so just finding people to play with is hard. But online, it's very easy to find people to play, and so um, yeah, you know, and, I find I find it easy. And also, just because because people, there's so much online discussion too. There's a lot of people I barely know online that I already have an idea of what their taste is. I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, I'd want a game with this person. Yeah. And yeah, you, you have you have a, you have a wide profile of people. I'll say one downside I found to. Uh, online gaming is if you're dealing with a crunchier system i have a much harder time teaching a game online like i well, you can't point you can't point to the you can't point exactly yeah. yeah it's like or or to the chart or whatever like i tried to run a uh, rune quest 6 which is now called mithras online and face to face i could run that game you know no problem but you know you've got like charts players use to pick their combat maneuvers and stuff and it's like i could email everybody all the charts everybody had their character sheet but it was hard for me to explain oh well pick this thing from this place here and and then 
Oh, you know, this session went okay, but I was like, I was so tired by the end of the session. I'm like, I'm never running this online again. I'm I'm waiting till I can do it tabletop. I mean, there is something to be said for pulling the book out and pointing to sections of the book and showing people different, you know, aspects of the game. And that's Mm -hmm. harder to do online. I do find as time goes on, I get better at that still challenge, but Mm -hmm. I find that I get better at picking my words with that stuff. Um, Yeah. But there's always, there's always still that difficulty. Um, I think one of the things that I that I, I think is, a, I guess, both an upside and a downside is the convenience factor of online games. On the one hand, it's a, sometimes you can end up with this curtness in an online game where you just sort of you, everybody gets on and starts play right away. And then when it's over, they end it. And that can yeah. that can be bad for the like the long term sustainability of a campaign because you that moment in a live session when everybody's talking for the first 30 minutes or whatever is pretty important. And usually there's that moment after. Um, but also it's, 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 it's a bonus because, you know, like my Sunday session, I tried to run a live Sunday session. Um, and, and, uh, it was not working out because I had to pick my wife up at nine o'clock and I have to drop her off. Um, I have to leave the house at like three o'clock to drop her off. So it was giving me this very tight window to get there, come back, entertain a group of people, make sure they left my house by a certain time, and then going <laughs> to get her. And it and and my wife was just like, "This is not this is not working for me. We need to, you know." So I I shifted that to a, to to doing uh, an online game, and and that's you know worked great. Um, yeah. You know, and 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 what I do is 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 a, you have to decide, I think. If you do an online game and you have a short, shorter window um, of, of a play period, uh, maybe eat a little bit into the game time to get the socializing down. Do you know what I mean? Just so that the, I think that's yeah. still important, even if it even if it reduces the the time frame of the game. Uh, but you need to be a little bit more conscious of it in online because it isn't as natural. Uh, it's harder to read social cues on mm-hmm. on the uh, on an online game and it's easier for people to just kind of say bye and click off the button do you know what I mean so the, there's there's it there's, is uh, and it's now i i agree with you because it's like you know i'm i you know the group that i'm playing in with you right now it's i i don't know anyone previously in that mm. group and it is it is weirder than if like we'd all met like you know it's your place and we were all sitting in the room together and we chatted for 15 minutes before yeah. i mean you know steve who's in the group you know we did the, we did a podcast with him on karate kid a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and and it was like that was great cuz i'm like oh i'm actually you know i felt like i knew him so much better yeah. after that podcast than i did from playing the game with him cuz it's yeah. like we were talking back and forth now, i haven't got to game with him again since then but next time i game with him i'm like okay yeah he's a friend of mine now i know yeah. the guy and it's going to be a lot smoother but well and that's but, yeah, really I, that's a really important in a role-playing game where people will sometimes stab you in the back or something and if you don't know is. the person <laughs> if you don't know oh that's that's steve that's you know that's sort of like that's like his way of saying hello do you know what I mean? like like that's the it, it's yeah a, it's it's it it really matters the the personalities and if you don't know the personalities something can be interpreted very differently in in the in the context of a campaign um so yeah so yeah. I, I think i think getting that that 15 minutes before a session can be really helpful um 
Yeah, or, I mean, the, the backstabbing thing, I, I'm okay with backstabbing in games. I like it, but I know some people are going to get furious. But I'm also operating from the standpoint that this campaign is an evil campaign. So I figure anyone that signed up for this campaign is probably okay with yeah. it. No, and that's I think that's true. I mean, that's why with that campaign in particular, I tried to make it clear to everybody that, like, it's an evil campaign. And by evil, I mean <laughs> players can kill each other. That's really what I mean. Um but uh, yeah. but even then, like you would be, uh, this group will be fine. Um, but you will be surprised. I, I you know, I, I have. Yeah. Crime Network is built on that style of gaming, and yeah. and I have seen people get mad. I have, I have seen, sure. I have seen it happen. Um, sure. Um, well, a lot and, of people, lot people seen, think they're going to be the ones doing the backstabbing. It never occurred to them I would well, be the one. Well, see, that's that's the thing. A lot of times, they're they're, they're perfectly fine with it when they, when they're killing somebody, but then when they get killed, it's a it's a bigger yeah. issue. Um, yeah. But I think you you know, part part of part of the responsibility of a GM in those kinds of games is to to be as even handed as you can, so that there isn't the the thing that can really throw that off is is a mm-hmm. player getting a sense. Oh, you were playing favorites, and that's why I'm dead. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, that, that could be easy for a GM to fall into too, because sometimes those those really good at backstabbing players have really clever, funny plots, and you almost want to entertain them. And it's yeah. like you're you're like, ooh, this is you know, this is the person that that uh, yeah, they kind of you kind of get sucked into their plot, yeah. and when they backstab another player, it's like. You know, so it's easy to subconsciously kind of skew things for them. Well, I think I think it benefits from having um, you really you really want to make sure the dice do a lot of the work in the fight yes. between two players. I think that's the yes. Um, that's 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 where you know that's sort of the great equalizer. But but I mean, there, there, a certain amount of bias is going to be inevitable. So I think everybody kind of needs to understand that you know this is not real life. This is a game, and we're all trying to have fun. And uh, the GM needs to really try to keep their biases in check. And, uh, um, you know, just, you know, just be as even as possible. Um, yeah, but, uh, but, 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 but yeah, but, but again, I think, you know, it's a, um, I, with online games, you know, it, it, the convenience factor really means you can, you can schedule a lot of games. I'm in, I'm in four games right now. Um, yeah. and, and they're not every week, so it's not like four days a week, but, um, but I think I do two games a week um and and uh, between the four games and you know that's that's very easy for me to schedule because because of the uh the convenience factor it would be a lot harder if people were coming over and i'd have to have that window of time that i need to be there in case somebody arrives early uh you know what i mean and 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 now it's like nope nobody's coming early i get on skype at this this time every single Uh day and 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 everybody knows well i gotta leave at nine to go get my wife so that's when i leave you don't Uh, have to shuffle everyone out of the house yeah Yeah. (laughs) so um but uh yeah so so i think the convenience factor is is a is a benefit but i I would i would recommend people try online games especially if you're someone who's having a harder time finding a game group you know because of geography it's a really great way to supplement live live gaming um and uh, and it's a great way to try out systems that you don't have time to try out otherwise. If you if yeah. you just want to, you're like ah, and I, and I, I'm on to talk because I have a lot of games that I still haven't tried that I've been meaning to try forever. But like you know, if you've been meaning to play Numenera, if you've been meaning to play the new RuneQuest or something, it's really easy to find somebody now that's willing to run it. 
So. Yeah, especially if you say you're new and you're curious about this game. If you throw that on the internet, there's going to be some fan of that game who's going to go, oh, you're interested in this game I like? Yeah, yeah, let, yeah. Me, let me get a game together. I mean, people people want you to play the games they like. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I got, into, I got into one Cthulhu game, like the new edition of Cthulhu that was really controversial. And, you know, a lot of people were debating about whether they liked it or not. And one guy... Who, who worked on the game, just like, okay, oh, I'll run a game for everyone. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, great. I got to play it. And yeah, it plays. It's mechanically a little bit different, but it plays just like Call of Cthulhu. But yeah. But, but yeah. So we've been going on for an hour and 15 minutes, which is we have. Good. So I'm going to end the podcast here, but I think, um, uh, uh, what do we what do we have coming coming up next? We're going to be doing um, uh, another classic Who discussion at some point. I think this Sunday. I this believe Sunday. we're doing it. Okay. Yeah. And, um, what episode are we doing? The Santarin experiment. Santarin experiment will okay. be the next one. Yes. All right. I'm looking forward to that one. And um, yeah. And uh, I know we got other stuff coming down the pike too. This Friday, me and Lady Chaofeng, I believe we're doing Swordmaster this Friday, and then. The following week is Death Duel, which is a the, the, these are really great wuxia movies. Um, Swordmaster people can find at Netflix. Death Duel people can find on Prime. Death Duel stars Derek Yi. It's based on a um, on a story by Gu Long, and uh, it's a great movie. And then Derek Yi directed the remake of it, which is Swordmaster, and and it's um. Uh, they're both beautiful films and and i highly recommend them and we'll be talking about them in the coming weeks and um and yeah so so we'll be back on with some more uh discussion and i'll hopefully have some gaming updates in the next couple of weeks too because i got a couple of things brewing that i uh, i'll have official announcements for so all right we will talk to you later